Missouri lawmakers were back in Jefferson City this week for the General Assembly's annual veto session and a special session to deal with a vehicle sales tax measure. There wasn't much suspense over the outcome of the veto session as legislators declined to override any of Governor Mike Parson's objections. The GOP-controlled House and Senate did easily pass the sales tax measure, which State Representative Becky Ruth of Festus says could provide a bit of a break for individuals and small businesses trading in cars or boats. It's a good pro-consumer bill. It's important for the citizens of Missouri, and I would like to thank leadership and the governor's office and all of my colleagues for uh, having this discussion today and getting this bill passed through our house. But even though Ruth's sales tax legislation had bipartisan support, Democrats contended that they should have gathered in Jefferson City to debate more pressing issues. Senator Jamila Nasheed of St. Louis contended that the violence in St. Louis and Kansas City was more urgent than a car sales tax break. They are afraid to hang out at the ballpark village because they fear for their lives. We are, in fact, losing revenue as a result of gun violence. St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll and the Kansas City Star's Crystal Thomas joined me to talk about this week's special session and the governor's decision to run for a full four-year term. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, and this is Politically Speaking. Thank you so much for joining us. We have an all Illinois native uh, podcast today, which I think is a, a real treat because as all three of us know, even though we all live in Missouri, Illinois is the, the greatest state in the union. Um, agree, yeah. ILL. Do, do you agree with that, Crystal? Or, or, or have you learned to hate Illinois after all as these years? As a reporter, I have no opinions on anything ever, so <laughs> just kidding. Um, shout out to my mom, I love Illinois. Well, that, that's great that we all agree. We're not here to talk about Illinois. We're here to talk about uh, the special session that was. We're recording this on Friday at 145. I believe that the Senate has passed a vehicle sales tax measure that was the entire reason that legislators were back in this special session. Um, I'll start with uh, you, Crystal. Why did this special session come to be? And what were some of the influences and reasons, reasonings behind uh, lawmakers coming back to Jefferson City? So the issue is very technical. Um, you know, it's it's not one of those big splashy, you know, kids are dying or, or something Medicaid related. Um, it has to do with um, car trade-ins. So when you go to the license office and you um, show them, you know, your car title and uh, you have to pay a sales tax on the car, you can show that you've sold a car in the past and they'll um, whip up whatever the difference is and then you have to pay sales tax on it. So um, in years past, and this has been going on for years, the license offices and the Department of Revenue have been issuing different direction on how to do this. So the license offices have always allowed you to uh, credit multiple vehicles against the purchase of a new vehicle. The Department of Revenue um, has, at least in court, said, and in front of the state's hearing commission for the last couple of years says, only one vehicle per um, car trade-in sales tax. 
So this has been going on in the state's commissions for years. You can you can see admin, administrative hearing commission cases dating back even 10 years. The reason why this year is different is because one couple had a son who was an attorney, and uh, they wanted to get their $1,200 sales tax refund because they had sold four of their cars and said that all four of those cars should be put against um, the purchase of a new vehicle so they didn't have to pay any sales tax. The Department of Revenue says, uh, we're not going to give you your sales tax refund. They appeal it to the Administrative Hearing Commission. In years past, the Administrative Hearing Commission has said, you're not going to get the sales tax refund. Well, they, you know, they bring out their secret weapon, which is their attorney son. And uh, he goes and he goes after the law and he says, no, this is not right. You know, the Department of Revenue has a 2006 regulation that states that they can do this. It's not being enforced equally across the state. He also says that, you know, Missouri law is just really ambiguous on this. And so they should get their sales tax refund. So they, he, they win for the first time in the Administrative Hearing Commission. They win. And uh, that could have been the end of the matter. But the Department of Revenue went ahead and appealed it to the Supreme Court. And so uh, those oral arguments happened um, in December of last year. Uh, the St. Louis couple, which it's a St. Louis County couple, which it's uh, – their names are David and Jill Kellenbrink. One of them is a carpenter. The other one's a retired teacher. Um, are facing off against the Department of Revenue, who is um, represented by the Attorney General's office. So uh, that happens in December. The Supreme Court decision comes down June 25th of this year. The Supreme Court says you can do one car per one vehicle purchase for the sales tax credit trade-in. And that is, you know, different than a lot of people have experienced it in the last couple of years. And so the governor said, let's go ahead and do a special session. There's a lot of like legal back and forth in the last couple of years about this, but it comes down to that one Supreme Court decision in June. So Jacqueline, when lawmakers reconvened this week, um, what was the reaction among Republicans that control the Missouri House and Missouri Senate to this particular issue. So the bill sponsor, Becky Ruth, she's a Republican from Festus. She was very adamant that this bill needed to be brought forward right away, dealt with right away, because not only did Missouri need to be abiding by the law, but um, it was also uh, good for Missouri taxpayers to get this extra money in their pockets. Um, but overall, I, I didn't feel a whole lot of urgency being in the chambers, really, from other Republicans. Um, it, it was just kind of, you know, if the governor wants us to be here, we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, respond to the call of the governor. I think even um, Speaker Har said, you know, he wasn't there to say whether uh, lawmakers should have been called back for a special session for this specific issue. But if that's what the governor wanted, that's what they were there to do. I told everybody from the beginning on the merits of the, the bill itself, um, we had a lot of support. There's obviously, you know, anytime you have a special session, there's a lot of people that say, what about this issue, what about that? But on the actual issue that we were debating, we'd had, we'd had cross, cross uh, partisan support since the beginning. 
So, Jacqueline, what was the reaction from Democrats? I, I, I know that some of them ended up voting for this, probably in the House and Senate. But I think some of them brought up the question of, of who this actually benefits. Does it benefit ordinary citizens or does it benefit car dealers that could end up profiting from this particular measure? Yeah. So the the bill got a lot of support from Democrats. And um, I don't think this particular bill was ever really an issue. I think Democrats just wanted a special session on different topics. However, there were some Democrats that were concerned that this wasn't going to be, um, you know, a benefit to as many everyday citizens as the governor and some Republicans were saying it would be. They were saying this might be a sellout to corporations who have large car fleets or um, benefiting car dealerships for people that are now going to be trading in more cars and getting more cars. So um, they did introduce a couple amendments amendments, I guess the same amendment, we just saw it twice, once in committee and once on the House floor, um, to limit this to individual citizens or to businesses with 12 or fewer employees to make sure that it wasn't this big tax break for larger corporations. Those amendments obviously both failed. They did not have enough support. Here's House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid of Springfield talking about her opinion of this particular legislation. It makes no sense to waste tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer dollars because you don't like the outcome that was in your favor. It makes no sense to prioritize tax breaks for a few over the lives of Missourians who die nearly every day due to gun violence. It makes no sense for the administration to continue to insist everything is fine with the state's Medicaid system and we continue to hear story after story from working Missourians with life-threatening conditions who, without any explanation, suddenly lost their health care coverage. So that type of argument was heard a lot in the run-up to the special session, that there is this gun violence epidemic both in St. Louis and Kansas City, and that's the issue that lawmakers should be dealing with. Crystal, I'm going to go to you because we've talked a lot about the St. Louis violence issue, but I also know that this is an issue in Kansas City how were Kansas City legislators and Kansas City leaders reacting to the Democratic demand, so to speak, to have this special session on gun violence as opposed to this vehicle sales tax issue? Democratic lawmakers from Kansas City agreed with St. Louis lawmakers. I think they were on the same page about having a special session um, or at least tackling the issue of gun violence because Kansas City has also seen you know, a, a pretty deadly summer uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas has uh, got out in front of it and talked a lot about it with community leaders, um, with the media. Uh, he's tried to propose ordinances that might um, push back on gun violence. But the larger um, the larger picture here is that there are state laws that prohibit certain types of city ordinances and um, there are state laws that hem in what you can do on the city level. I do want to play a clip again from Speaker Elijah Har when he was asked about what the Republican response to this gun violence epidemic would be. It's a bit of a lengthy clip, but I wanted to make sure it's in context. So we're working on that. Obviously, we've got a little bit of time until the next session starts in January. Um, so we're doing some research on a lot, what, looking at what other large cities across the country have done in order to combat increases in crime. And the interesting thing about this is if you look over the past 20 years nationally, violent crime rates have, have decreased by about 50 percent. Um, the outliers on that are, are St. Louis and Baltimore. Those cities have had uh, a significant increase in violent crime. So we're trying to look around the country at what other large cities 
and states have done to address those things. Um, we would like to have some sort of a legislative proposal prepared to go in January, um, but right now we're just in the process of researching. When you say we, what what kind of uh, players are involved in that? I've got a few members of, of the majority caucus that I've asked to just do some research to, to, to essentially drill down into these issues um, and, and just said, you know, one, once you have some good ideas, come back and let's talk about them as a caucus and figure out what we think would work and, and what we can propose um, before session starts in January. The vast majority of this violence is affecting the African-American communities in both St. Louis and Kansas City. And with the exception of Schmidt Dogan, a Republican from Baldwin, most of the political leadership that is African-American are Democrats. So I'll throw this question up to both of you. Did you get any indication from the speaker or anybody else that Democrats are going to be involved in this this proposal that Har was talking about? I'll, I'll go to you first, Jacqueline. We actually did ask Leader Quaid and some of the other Democrats in leadership, and they mentioned that they had not been spoken to by Speaker Har or any member of the majority caucus, but they were they would always welcome those conversations. I know that, you know, Governor Parson has met with the Legislative Black Caucus. He's met with um, leaders in both uh, St. Louis and Kansas City. Um, but, you know, so far, I haven't heard that they're working together at this point to kind of come up with a plan to address the situation. I mean, I've been hearing the same things. Um, Speaker Har has said, though, that, you know, if people have ideas to come to him with them. I've also heard that there is a working group that will be looking at this, um, but we don't know yet who is exactly going to be on that working group. I think a primary aspect of the discussion from the Democratic side has been tighter restrictions on guns. That was kind of one of the inferences in this exchange between Senators Kiki Curls of Kansas City and Senator Jamila Nasheed of St. Louis. I'm going to play this clip right now. It is not uncommon at all for us to hear gunshots on any day, certainly on the weekends. We hear them every weekend in my area. I mean, they, they, they shoot like AK-47s, girl. Oh, I mean, Senator, pow, I'm sorry. pow, 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 pow. Not like pow, pow, pow. Now, I should note that later in that exchange, Senator Nasheed mentioned that the solutions to the gun violence epidemic are more than just gun control. It involves education. It involves economic development. And she suggested having an interim committee look at a lot of these things. But it does bring up this question. I think the chances of really restrictive laws on guns passing a supermajority Republican legislature are very, very low. I'm not trying to say that nothing will pass. I've heard some talk about background checks maybe getting past the finish line. But is advocating for gun control basically the same as advocating for inaction? Yeah, Jason, we had some conversation about this offline because I wanted you to clarify a little bit. But yeah, it's interesting. We um, actually, Julie and I both spoke with uh, Senator Rizzo about this issue specifically. Um, Background checks. This is something that the governor has come out and said he supports with his background in law enforcement. We know 90% of the nation as a whole supports background checks. Most gun owners want background checks. But Rizzo said he doesn't believe we have a legislature that will pass that. Um, So 
I, I'm not sure if it's the same as advocating for nothing. Um, I know that a lot of Democrats, especially in the Legislative Black Caucus that I've spoke with, when they spoke with Governor Mike Parson, he was on board with economic development and what he called these so-called wraparound services to make sure that people are getting educated, they're getting good paying jobs. So they're, um, the idea is to get them off the streets or maybe get them you know, back to work so they have other tasks to um, keep them out of potentially violent crime situations, but they are very interested in doing something about the guns specifically. But I, you know, I, I can't say whether it's the same as advocating for nothing. I, I did mention before the, the political realities playing a factor into how the cities are um, moving forward and, and the political reality of whether the state legislature will, will pass something that has to do with guns. Um, I will say also that Governor Mike Parson, he is a former sheriff, and he has said that, you know, he, he does believe in, um, I wouldn't say regulating guns, but I would say some kind of, um, you know, taking a serious look at it. Because a lot of times a proliferation of guns doesn't just affect your everyday citizen. It also affects law enforcement. A lot of those um, deaths, um, those gun deaths can be attributed to law enforcement. The guns are being pointed at them as well. Um, so I will say that Governor Parson, um, you know, at the Missouri uh, at the Missouri State Fair said that he was interested in looking into this issue. Um, and uh, but, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Jason. It is a supermajority um, Republican legislature. Um, and this is also a lot of these members are the ones that passed the laws in the last couple of years that um, loosened a lot of these restrictions in the first place. I think that, you know, if you talk to the rank and file um, lawmakers here in Jeff City, um, Republicans or Democrats, they will say that it is unrealistic to think that there is going to be a huge gun legislation package that will be pushed through next session. But there is possibly chances of um, doing small things, like you said, background checks. Not that it, that's small, it's just in terms of you know legislative proposal. It's, you're not gonna get the omnibus bill. We'll be right back after this quick message. And we're back with St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll and the Kansas City Star's Crystal Thomas. I wanted to talk a little bit about something that happened outside of the special session, and that is Governor Parson officially declaring that he will run for a full four-year term in 2020. Not exactly surprising news. I think a lot of people had been bracing for this for a number of weeks, but he made the uh, uh, he made his bid official in his hometown of Bolivar, Missouri. We believe that everyone should have the opportunity to pursue the American dream. If you are willing to work, that dream should never be out of reach for anyone, regardless of what their background is or where they came from. That's why I feel the call to serve again. I want to continue to do the hard work to make sure everyone has a chance to pursue the American dream. That is audio from KSMU's Claire Kidwell of Governor Parson's speech. Uh, Crystal, you were in Bolivar earlier this week. Tell me what the atmosphere was like at the governor's address, which I colloquially called Parson Palooza. 
Oh, that's a good one for it because it was a party. Um, there were hundreds of people there. Uh, and, you know, Bolivar isn't uh, a large town. Uh, you know, there's 10,000 people that live in Bolivar. And it felt uh, a little bit like maybe all of them were <laughs> in that auditorium that day because there was definitely a family feel uh, to, you know, there was uh, – statewide elected officials there, there were lawmakers there, there were Republican operatives there, but there was also, um, you know, a lot of the locals uh, there as well. And uh, even in the parking lot, I bumped into a woman who um, said that she was uh, related to, you know, the Parsons in some form or fashion. And um, you know, it wasn't hard to find someone who didn't have like an, a personal anecdote about the Parsons. So um, it, there was a lot of uh, hooting and hollering and, and entertainment and, you know, singers from Branson and, and a, you know, a big band. So politics pluses for it was uh, Parsons time to shine on the stage for sure. You know, it, it is in marked contrast to Nicole Galloway's uh, announcement, which was by a, a fairly high-end web video. I think one of the benefits of announcing your candidacy via web video versus doing it in public is that even though you could potentially boo a web video, the only person that can hear you is yourself. And I mentioned that because there were like three or four or five people that actually interrupted the governor's speech, if I'm not mistaken, Crystal. Yes. So I actually happened to be standing right there when it happened um, because the uh, it was it was a handful of young women um, and it happened twice and they were standing right in the front row. So uh, most of the media was in the back, and then there was a couple of minutes where they let people up into the front. And right as I was turning around, I heard shame on Parson. I whipped back, and there were five women holding up banners and saying shame on Parson. And it was the beginning of his speech. And on those banners, it talked about people getting kicked off Medicaid. It talked about this gun violence issue that we just um, uh, spoke about. And uh, they were escorted out. And then a couple minutes later into Parson's speech, Governor Parson's speech, um, the same thing happened, um, but the five people next to them. Uh, so uh, I, it was definitely unexpected. One of the other notable things that from listening to KSMU's audio of the speech was this passage that the governor mentioned, I think, in the middle or near the end of his speech. We are actually seeing the rise of socialism on the left and those who want to push us away from capitalism and take away our freedom. We see politicians on the left outdoing each other with one extreme policy over another. It seems unbelievable at first, but when you realize how dangerous these ideas really are, such as advocating for open borders, then advocating for free health care for illegal immigrants, calling for the end of ICE, creating a socialized health care system that eliminates your freedom to choose your own doctor and health care coverage. I heard that, and I was kind of thinking that that is a textbook way in a Republican-leaning state to get 
Republican voters who are probably more focused on national issues kind of in your corner, even though you're running for state office. I'm actually going to start with Jacqueline on this, because I guess one of the reoccurring themes when you appear on the podcast is I always force you to compare Missouri to Illinois. But like last cycle, for example, did you hear like Democratic candidates in Illinois kind of raise the specter of Trump or Republican policies as reasons not to vote for, say, Bruce Rauner or some of the down ballot people? Is this just kind of like an example of that? that you heard in Illinois, only Republicans doing it about Democrats. Definitely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard on my Pandora playlist because I'm a journalist and can't afford to pay for it. So I had to play the ads. But uh, J.B. Pritzker talking about how, you know, Illinoisans, that was his main goal. Get, you know, get rid of Trump and and those types of policies um, and kind of connected Trump to Rauner, even though there was this really odd time where Governor Bruce Rauner never even said Donald Trump's name for the longest time and tried to distance himself from it. But definitely, um, that was definitely seen on uh, on almost all of the statewide races. Crystal, what was your reaction when you heard that particular passage of Parsons' speech? My first reaction was, is Nicole Galloway calling for this, um, who is the state auditor and most likely Parsons' uh, you know, primary opponent. But, um, you know, Parson didn't, Governor Parson didn't mention her name at all during the speech. Um, it was actually more focused on uh, national Democrats. Uh, he evoked the names of uh, Bernie Sanders um, and, uh, you know, Sanders's um, crusade to get, you know, Medicare for all and socialized health care. And then Elizabeth Warren, another presidential candidate who wants uh, free college tuition um, because of, you know, the burden of student loan debt. Uh, And then also uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a New York congresswoman, um, and it talked about the Green New Deal, which is like a plan she has to aggressively fight um, uh, climate change. And so he tried to, you know, tie, you know, maybe his race and, and some of what his race is about to some of the policies that you see national Democrats promoting. Um, And, you know, that is very much in the forefront of what people are thinking right now because, you know, the the Democratic primary is in full swing, even though we're more than a year out from the presidential election as well. Um, You know, there was a debate last night of uh, Democratic presidential candidates. so this is not new. In 2016, you heard a lot of times um, uh, people trying to uh, take the Missouri Democrats and tying them to the National Party as well, to Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. Um, and so, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a well-worn speaking point for sure. You know, after the governor announced that he was running for a full year, full four year term, most Republican elected officials in the legislature ended up endorsing him, including the statewide officials that are Republicans. Um, But another relationship of of, a a close backer Parson has come deeper into focus in the Kansas City Star. And that's Parson's relationship with House Speaker Steve Tilley, who is a prominent lobbyist in Jefferson City. Uh, Crystal, you wrote an article about this with your colleague, Jason Hancock, 
What did you find and how are lawmakers reacting to this relationship between the governor and Tilly? The relationship between the governor and Tilly isn't uh, isn't a new one. They've been friends for years, um, dating back to when they served in the House together. One way that you can just show how, you know, see how much of a supporter he was is um, the day we wrote uh, the story about his connections with Parson and, and the amount of campaign cash he's fun, fundraised for him. Um, he was at uh, Governor Parson's announcement in Bolivar, so he was one of the crowd cheering him on. Um, and uh, I, I wasn't able to ask him questions in the moment. I couldn't track him down quite fast enough. But uh, if you want to see pictures, um, you can see him in the background of a, of a couple of shots on Twitter, one of which Governor Parson retweeted. And, um, they, you know, there's always been a lot of scrutiny on this relationship because uh, Steve Tilly is a lobbyist and Parson is a person in a position of power. Um, so uh, lawmakers have raised, you know, the specter of their relationship before uh, when Parson uh, ran for majority leader in 2012. And part of the reason his bid failed is because there were lawmakers that were openly uh, concerned about Tilly having too much influence in the chamber. So you, you fast forward to, um, you know, Governor Parson being, uh, you know, Eric Crichton stepping down, Governor Parson becoming the governor um, in this kind of whirlwind fashion and, uh, um, one of the things we did note is that Steve Tilley started out with uh, um, about two dozen uh, lobbying clients, and then after Parson became governor, that shot up to more than seventy clients. So it, it's just a it's just an indicator of you know at least the outside world um, thinking that Steve Tilley has uh, the the ear of the governor and some kind of influence um, on how the political process plays out. Um, one of the big things we found in our article was that uh, Steve Tilley has um, organized fundraisers for Governor Parson. So almost every quarter, or sorry, a quarter of every dollar that has uh, been raised to elect Parson as governor can be connected back to Tilly. Um, and so uh, there were a couple of fundraisers for... Um, low-income housing tax credit uh, developers that are his clients, uh, you know, the gaming industry. Um, we found a fundraiser in March where it was um, put on by a Cape Girardeau businessman. Um, and, uh, you know, I talked to him and I found out that uh, Steve Tilly helped host that as well. Um, and that it was uh, he was introduced to Parson and introduced to the idea of putting on this fundraiser by Steve Tilly. So, um, you know, those numbers have probably shifted since we wrote the story uh, because Parson has some, had some pretty big fundraisers even just in the last week um, for him, for his candidate committee, but also for his PAC, Uniting Missouri. And are you kind of expecting some similar relationships between State Auditor Nicole Galloway and any particular industry or interest groups that align with Democrats to also be scrutinized 
by, I guess, allies of Parson in, in the weeks ahead. Obviously, Nicole Galloway has raised a lot less money than Parson when you combine the candidate committee and the political action committee. But I have seen a lot more money flowing her way since the announcement, and I kind of expect that money to be scrutinized by uh, allies of Parson. Have Have you heard anything on that front, Crystal, yet? Definitely. I mean, there have been Republican operatives who have already pointed out that, um, and and this isn't unusual that for um, Nicole Galloway because she's a Democrat, that union money is you know already heading her way, um, and that union groups are do- donating to her campaign. Um, there's also been talk of. Uh, funding coming from you know the national level um and and emily's list which is a uh, group that looks for uh pro-life women um candidates to support um possibly having their eye on nicole galloway the democratic governor's association having their eye on her candidacy so um, we could see some money from outside of the state of missouri uh coming her way as well but um, it is fairly early, and uh, you are correct. Governor Parson has a huge fundraising lead over uh, State Auditor Galloway. Jacqueline and Crystal, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy afternoon to appear on the podcast. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you on Twitter, Jacqueline? Triscoll NPR. And how could people follow you on Twitter, Crystal? by Crystal Thomas, but it's Crystal spelled C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, the only right way to spell it. Yes. Do not spell it with a, with a K or you will be thrown into a pit of alligators. You'll be dead to me. <laughs> you'll, you'll be dead to all of us. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. Dead.